Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 24 for a sermon entitled Matchmaker. Genesis chapter 24. Before we get to our sermon today, would you pause with me for a moment of prayer? God, your word speaks of wars and rumors of war. Rumors yesterday became reality. Evil zealots respect no boundaries, capturing innocent civilians, creating casualties even of children. All in the name of evil. Indeed, they abuse their own citizens. God, we pray for peace and protection of all who are innocent on both sides of the conflict. As a people of peace, we long for the day when soldiers turn swords into plowshares and the lion lays down with the lamb. But until that day, may the nations of this world have the courage to refuse the reign of chaos and stand boldly with each other as a front against the aggression of terrorists. Oh God, please guide us as we find our way under the shelter of your protection. Amen. Sometimes a good wife can be, finding a good wife can be the most difficult of all tasks. And a whole lot is riding on this for Isaac. Ironically, our sermon today about Abraham and Isaac and Israel becoming a great nation. Isaac's the only heir of the covenant, the promises to Abraham, and we're trying to find the right wife to be the mother of a nation. God had told Abraham, when Abraham was 75 years old, that he and his elderly wife Sarah would be blessed with an heir from whom a nation as innumerable as the stars of the sky or the sands of the seashore would emerge. And they waited after that promise for 25 years. 25 years before the son of laughter, Isaac, was born. Sarah named him Laughter because she said, everybody will laugh at me because I, an old woman, have born this baby boy. By the time we get to our text, Isaac's probably about 40 years old. We're still waiting. He is a wealthy, wealthy bachelor. In his time, it's high time Isaac get married. Sarah is already dead. And Abraham is worried. He himself by now is an elderly man. And he just wants to get the boy married off before he dies so he can make sure that the plan of God for Israel can go forward. But I warn you, sometimes a good wife is a hard thing to find. In fact, so hard that men have resorted to desperate measures to find Ms. Right or Ms. Right just for me. Take Harold. Harold's about Isaac age. He's 45. He's single, never married, 5'8", 153 pounds, brown hair, blue eyes. He's a long-haul trucker, and he has a web page entitled willworkforwife.org. Willworkforawife.org. 
being a truck driver, Harold has a hard time meeting women. So Harold leased out a whole billboard in Omaha, Nebraska, had a picture of himself plastered above the street, probably a 12-foot tall version of 5'8 Harold. It was the corner of 72nd and Dodge Streets in Omaha. In fact, he had a picket sign. He marched up and down the streets and he handed out pamphlets and cards. In fact, he says this is a task to find a bride. That's his summer's project that summer. He was going to find a bride, to find the right woman. Well, his goal is to be married by Christmas. Said he's willing to pay up to $10,000 on his nuptial campaign. Ladies, listen now. He does his own laundry. He's a good cook. He irons his own shirts. Who does that? He mows his own lawn. He tries to keep a clean house. Well, women, these guys, these guys are desperate to find you. Tom Feltenstein paid $6,000 for a billboard on I-95 near Palm Beach Airport. It reads, have made, have money, sure want a honey. Have, ma <laughs> have made, have money, sure want a honey. He's already, he, got, he found one. Back off, back off. Do not call that number. Tom is married. But if you're willing to spend around the ten dollars to $20,000 mark, let me tell you, the expert in all of this, go Google her, Janice Spindell. She has an office up in the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and she will help you find just the right girl for about $30,000. But if you get married and most of her clients do, she wants a 100 to a quarter of a million dollar bonus the day that you say, I do. She has a data bank of 6,800 women and is always taking in more. That's the harem from which you can choose your bride to be. One man who was described, and all of her clients are obviously wealthy. He was not only wealthy, he was handsome. They asked him, why would you pay someone like Janice that big of a price, the price of a really, really nice mega automobile just to find a wife? He said, I'd have to meet 100 girls. She's already met the 100 girls. She's going to do the sorting for me. She's my screener. Don't think it works, 715 marriages in 10 years, averaging 1.5 weddings a week, and those bonuses are rolling in for Janice Spindell. What about letting Janice pick your bride, gentlemen? Or what about arranged marriages? The kids didn't seem to like that idea so much. <laughs> but in other cultures, kids are taught that's just the way it happens. Sabiha and Sari was planning to get married her parents flew her to India. She bet her husband-to-be for less than 20 minutes. She was with family. She said, I really wanted to talk to him in private or at least by the phone. But after 20 minutes of visiting with the family, they asked me, will you marry him? And I said, I, I would. And I'm glad to say things have gone well for Sabiha Ansari. In fact, arranged marriages are most common among families in India, the Middle East, and Japan. Sabiha, who's 37, says, your parents know you very well. You kids listen to this. Your parents know you very well, and they will not do anything detrimental to you. Another young lady by the name of Huma said her parents were, well, they were assigned screening all of her suitors. She says, I'm in graduate school. I don't have time to find a husband. I'll just let my mama pick, and we'll go from there. These are folks going to medical school, allowing their parents to pick their spouse. 
arranged marriages go way, way, way back. In fact, we have something of a story like that today. Tomoko Chibana has been happily married for 14 years thanks to her parents' pick. I knew my mom and my dad would find me a lovely gentleman. I was able to concentrate on my professional studies at the university. She was born in Japan and now lives in New York City with her husband and three children. I didn't have to waste time looking for love. I graduated, got married to the man they picked, and now I have a family. In fact, I found a proposed game show. Maybe some of you want to be a contestant. It reads this way. We're looking for four people. Anybody want to step up? Who will ask their closest loved ones, whether family or friends, to team up and choose, choose a spouse for them. They know you. They love you. They know what's best for you. They may have even better judgment than you do, and they'll pick you a good lifetime partner. But you got to be ready to go on the show to commit to marriage to whomever they pick. Your loved ones will match you with someone with shared goals, values, experiences, and a commitment to making it work. All those are maybe okay ideas, but there's a biblical way. Always, always marry the woman who offers to water your camels. <laughs> always, always marry the woman who offers to water your camels. Well, it's a long story. We have there... and. Genesis chapter 24. Let's pick up with verse 5 where, where it was left off as gay read. And the servant said to him, Suppose a woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land where you came from? And Abraham said, No, beware lest you take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, Your descendants, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. But the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. First thing I want you to see this morning, believers have the responsibility of assuring that God's program continues to the next generation. Believers have the responsibility of ensuring that God's program continues to the next generation. It has often been said that it takes two to make a marriage. A single daughter and an anxious mother equal a marriage. <laughs> but we might say in this case, a single son and an anxious father make the marriage. Abraham is intensely determined and an utterly believing old man. God has promised to multiply his descendants. And his people will be like the stars of the sky or the countless grains of sand on the seashore. But Isaac must have a wife for there to be an heir. That boy, Isaac, needs a wife. And that way the promise passes forward to the next generation. 
So he calls his servant. What's the servant's name? We don't know. It's unnamed in the story, but it might be Eliezer, named back in Genesis 15 too, who in fact would be the heir of all things Abraham if a son is never born. The servant, Eliezer, probably makes an oath with Abraham. Abraham gives him two stipulations. First of all, do not take a wife from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. Do not take a wife for my son from amongst the Canaanites. Now, this was not ethnic discrimination. This was choosing a wife within the family of faith. The Canaanites did not worship Yahweh, and Abraham did not want a wife who did not worship the God who had made the promise to make a new people and a great nation from Abraham's descendants. Don't choose a wife who worships a foreign god. Good advice back then, good advice right now. Secondly, Isaac cannot move to Mesopotamia. His wife must dwell with him in the promised land. We have that same responsibility today that Abraham had to Isaac. We are, make, we are to make sure that we pass on the promises of God to the next generation. You remember what Paul said to Timothy. Your faith is multi-generational, Timothy. I know the faith of your grandmother Lois. I know the faith of your mother Eunice. And I'm sure the faith is in you as well. The biblical paradigm from Abraham to Paul is that we are to give our faith, our God, to the next generation. Paul's saying to Timothy, I know how your grandmother Lois was a follower of Jesus and your mother Eunice, and I know you're the third generation of believers. And Abraham had this desire to give the promise of God from Abraham to Isaac. Then, of course, it will go to Jacob. You realize that the followership of Jesus, Christianity is never more than one generation away from total failure. In fact, this very generation is, is labeled as the de-churching of America, where the generation of today has chosen not to show up in God's house. If we ourselves follow Christ but our children do not, Christianity will come to a halt. The ne next generation must understand what it means to follow Jesus. They must understand followership, and they must understand stewardship, supporting the church, and they must understand the mission to go to all the world and tell the good news of God's love and the death of Jesus on the cross and eternal life to a God who loves us that much. The next generation must grasp not only commitment to Christ, but everywhere in Scripture where we have commitment to Christ, we also have commitment to His people. Committed to Christ means committed to His bride, committed to church. Like Abraham, we must make sure that the program of God goes to the next generation. We have failed in many ways. No matter how fervently we keep our own faith or tell people all over the world, if our faith does not go from Lois to Eunice to Timothy from Abraham to Isaac, to our sons, our daughters, our grandsons, and our granddaughters. There's the second thing we see in this story. We can be confident about the leading of the Lord. We can be confident about the leading of the Lord. The servant heads out on a journey in the story. 
He's looking for a bride for Isaac. You notice what Abraham tells him in, in verse 7b. God will send his angel before you. This is not just you randomly looking. God will lead. And then in verse 12, the servant says, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness. The, the Hebrew word hesed, show loving kindness to my master Abraham. He asked for a sign. How do I know amongst all the ladies that I, that I talk with, how do I know that this one is the one you have for Isaac? He was standing at the spring. That's where all the women would go every evening to fetch the day's water. Now I'm going to ask the girls to give me a drink. But the one who says, not only will I give you a drink, but let me give water to your camels too, I will know that will be a sign, oh God, that she is the one. That will be the sign that you are giving Hesed loving kindness to my master Abraham. Notice verse 15, what it says. And it came about before he had finished speaking. Then behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. Before he had even finished the prayer, before he had even finished asking God for the sign to send the girl, here comes Rebekah with her water jar perched on her shoulder. He had no more finished saying amen and God was already sending Rebecca. She was from Abraham's clan, a descendant of his brother. Now, do you know how much camels drink? Camel can drink 20 gallons of water. 20 gallons of water. We have 10 camels. We've got 200 gallons of water for Rebecca to fetch. You do the math here. Eight pounds a gallon, that's close to that. 1,600 pounds. This girl's going to lift 1,600 pounds of water to water all the camels. It was no small commitment. It would be a big thing for a maiden to say, hey, let me give you a little cup of water, but let me get 200 gallons of water for your camels too. That's what she promised. Isaiah proclaims of God, before they call, I will answer Isaiah 50, 65. Before the servant finished his prayer, Rebecca was on her way to the well. And isn't Rebecca a whirlwind of activity? Have you read all these verbals for Rebecca? I'm going to summarize verses 16, 18, and 19, 20. Here are the verbals for Rebecca. She went down. She filled her jar. She came up. She lowered her jar. She gave him a drink. She was giving him a drink. She drew also for the camel. She emptied her jar. She ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for all his camels. In the midst of all that, she gave a speech. She is quite a girl, this Rebecca. She is as busy as a bee. God has led the servant to Rebecca, and God leads Rebecca to the well. God leads his people. We find that in the Old Testament, do we not? The psalmist declares himself, he leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
the economy of God's management is that God always leads his people. Look at verse 14. The one that offers water to the camels, may she be the one whom God you have appointed. God leads his people. Verse 44, in case you missed it, the whole story is repeated. It's repeated, she will say to me, you will drink and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Yes, he, he led Rebekah down beside the waters that she might become the mother of a holy nation. As much as it emphasizes the leadership of God, it also emphasizes the followership of God's people. There's a third thing we see. We must give priority to the co completing God's work. We must give priority to, to completing God's work. Look at verse 15. And it came about, before he finished speaking, that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the, the wife of Abraham, his brother Nahor, came out with a jar on her shoulder. And she was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, let me drink a little water from your jar. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly lowered her jar into her hand and gave him a drink. Now, when she'd finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw. She drew for all of his camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. It came about when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two braces for a wrist weighing 10 shekels of gold. And he said, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? She said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And she said, we have plenty of both straw and feed, a room for you to lodge in. She draws the water for the camels. The servant gives her a gold ring, in this case for her nose, two bracelets for her wrists weighing each 10 shekels of gold. And he asked a question. He had to know if God was at work. Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to find lodging and for these 10 camels? She gives her identification from Abraham's brother's family. She said, we've got plenty of straw. We've got plenty of feed and room to lodge in. And the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord. The servant said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, verse 27, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in a way to the house of my master's brothers. The Lord leads, the Lord guides, and we must complete the work of the Lord above all else. We must give priority to completing God's work. The girl runs to her mother's household and tells about these things. She has a brother named Laban. He sees the gold. Now Laban knows there's a rich man visiting. Look at all this gold. Count all these camels. He invites him to come in. Come on in. We've got a place for your camels. The camels are fed and they're all watered. Look at verse 33. It's time to eat. The meal's prepared. But he says, until I tell my business, I will not take a bite. God's 
will and God's way must have priority in our lives. Now, you realize that the servant had been traveling a month's journey on travel rations for a month. He had to be starving. He was thirsty. He was hungry himself. He wanted a, a place of respite, but indeed he says, I will not eat until I have told my business. We must give priority to completing the work of God. It must come first above anything or anybody Eliezer is told by Laban, the brother, verse 50, the matter comes to the Lord, so we cannot speak to you good or bad. It's the plan of God. He begins to tell the whole story about his, his master Abraham. He's trying to find a wife for the heir of it all, Isaac. And I came, and I came to the, the spring, and I said, whoever offers to water the camels, and here came Rebecca. He tells the whole story, and he looks to Laban, and he says, what do you think about it? What does your household say? And Laban and her father say, it's of the Lord. It doesn't matter what we think, good or evil. It is not ours to share. It's not ours to judge. This is the plan of God. It doesn't matter if we're for it. It doesn't matter if we're against it. It's just the plan of God. So Rebecca can go with you and be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. Though she never meets Isaac before the wedding, she marries him. Never has a single conversation. Though her family, her mother and her brother want her to stay 10 days, yes, she can go, but give her 10 days. And the servant, so intent on fulfilling God's will and completing his task, says, do not cause me to tarry. I'm on a task for my master and for my God. And so they ask her, verse 58, Rebecca, will you go with this man? And she says, I will go to marry a man she's never even met. Here's a fourth thing, final thing I want you to see. The Lord will always complete the work that he begins. The Lord will always complete the work that he begins. He made that promise to Abraham that you will be the father of a great nation with countless descendants, and in you all the nations of the world will be blessed. It's not just about Israel. It's about within Israel comes the Christ, and the Christ causes salvation for all nations and all peoples. Verse 63, notice Isaac goes out into the field in this long story. Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward the evening. He looked up and behold, the camels were coming. The camels are the star role in this whole story. I hope you see it once again. He looked and behold, it's just saying his wife's coming, it's the camels are coming. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes, verse 64, and she saw Isaac. She jumps off her camel, and she said, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? Now notice his words. He is my master. This is the first time that anyone beside Abraham is called master. All of a sudden, you feel the switch. Now it's not Abraham who's the master of the servant, but now Isaac too. Isaac is my master. He is my master. As is appropriate, following convention, she puts a veil over her face and covers herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things he had done. 
And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. Now notice that. Sarah, to be the mother of a great nation. And now Rebecca goes into Sarah's tent because Rebecca is the mother of a great nation. And he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. The choice of the bride was God's choice. The sign is confirmed in the watering of the camels and Eliezer recognizes it and Laban recognizes it and Rebekah recognized and complied with it and Isaac accepts it. God completes his will in his way. I don't know what's going on in your life today, but I know whoever you are and wherever you are and whatever faces you, that God will complete the task that God has begun in you. God will act powerfully, and God will act on your behalf. And sometimes it's not in the moment. Sometimes it's much later that we realize that God is already at work for us, that God is at work to bless his people God leads, and we must be willing to obey. And God's will is done in every aspect of life. God made a promise to a really old man and a really old woman and told them they would be a great nation. Stars of the sky, sands of the seashore. In fact, it is through you. It's not just for you. You are to be the blessing to the whole world. In you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And yet for 25 years, there's no error. And we wait and we wait. And the folly of humanity as Abraham and Sarah try to jump the gun on God and it doesn't work. And finally, 25 years later, Sarah so old, she names her son Laughter. Because everyone will laugh that I and a woman have born this baby. And then Isaac, not married until he's 40 years of age. And Abraham, Sarah is dead and gone. And Abraham is getting anxious because the nation must proceed. And on that day, Abraham calls his chief servant and says, go find a wife. And he says, what if she won't come? What if I can't find one? And Abraham says, the angel of the Lord will go before you, and God will indeed make a great nation. Let us pray. Oh God, our hearts are heavy today. This sermon was written long before a single bomb was fired. Our single terrorists crossed the border. It's your providence. It's your word for us today to be reminded in the midst of every obstacle that you keep your promises. There's no act of man that can thwart the will of God. Give us your grace and your peace. And thank you for this story that reminds us that you are God and totally in control. 
We all need that word this morning.